Today's first scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, and it can be found in your Pew Bibles on page 971. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not so much more valuable than they? Can any, of, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Today's second scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13, and it can be found on pages 1180 to 1181 in your pew Bibles. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secrets of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, everyone. So today we are coming to our final sermon in Philippians. Next week, August 21st, our friend Dave Martin will be preaching from a passage in Mark Dave has come and preached several times before at IPC, and so we're, we're really thankful he's able to come. Dennis and Lois are doing well, and they should be returning on August 23rd, God willing. And, and then Dennis will be preaching the following Sunday after that. Today, in our final time in Philippians, we will cover Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. These verses are very rich, and there is just so much in them. And so topically, just a warning, we're going to be jumping around kind of a lot, trying to cover as much as possible in our last day in the text. 
For the sake of time, we'll have to miss out on the first few verses and the last nine verses of chapter 4. The first three verses we talked about a bit in an earlier week uh, where Paul pleads with two women in the church to get along with each other. He makes a public announcement, basically, for their reconciliation. And in the last nine verses, Paul says a lot of different things. I'm not going to try and cover that. But it really acts as a conclusion to the letter. He thanks the Philippian church for their care for him in the past and their care for him now through Epaphroditus. And he sends greetings to the Philippian church from the community of believers he's a part of um, in Rome while he's in prison. So let's, let's pray as we start. Lord, please speak to us through your words today. Um, soften our hearts to receive what you, want and what you want to tell us, God. Holy Spirit, guide our hearts and our minds as we, as we learn about you through your words in Philippians, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So we'll begin today with verses uh, 4 through 5, which I'll read again. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So starting off, Paul encourages the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. And he encourages not just rejoicing in the Lord, but rejoicing in the Lord always. And then he says it again. Rejoice. Now, this is something we have, we have talked about in, in the past few weeks, but it's so important, and so again, we'll just take a minute to, to talk about it. Paul talks about joy and rejoicing 16 times in this tiny little letter while he's sitting in prison. It's almost comical how many times he just keeps repeating it over and over, telling the Philippians to have joy. And it shows us that Paul really takes joy seriously, Having joy in the Lord, in who God is and what he's done, is an important and vital part of the Christian life. I think it's sometimes easy for us to, to read the word joy and kind of just skip over that sentence, but it's not something we can just glaze over. God doesn't just want us to trudge through life with our heads down, slogging through each and every day. He wants us to rejoice in him always, and this means no matter what the circumstances this is a joy from God, from who he is and what he has done, not from our earthly circumstances. God is so great and he's so wonderful that there's reason to have joy in him always, no matter what's going on in life. And as Christians, our eternity of joy in God starts now. We don't have to wait until the resurrection. Now moving to verse 5, Paul says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So here, gentleness can also reference graciousness, reasonableness, fairness, or equitableness. And so Paul is saying, be known for this. Get along well with the community and the people around you, and be known among them for, for that gentleness, for that grace and that fairness. Embody these good characteristics that God gives to you, and, and to love the people around you well. I think this is important both uh, for our communities outside of the church and our community within the church. Something beautiful about IPC as a church is that we have uh, people from all different kinds of backgrounds, right? We're from dozens of different denominations, cultures, and ethnicities. This is a wonderful picture of our eternity to come, where we'll be with sisters and brothers from every people and tribe and tongue. We're able to learn more about God from people who have experienced him and his goodness in different ways than we ourselves have. 
This is a blessing that God has given us here that the majority of Christians in history have not gotten to experience to the same extent. And so we need to treasure this about IPC. We shouldn't take it for granted, and we need to rejoice that God has given this gift to us. Now, all of us coming from different denominations and cultures also comes with its own set of difficulties. Many of us see specific aspects of Christianity differently, aspects of life and the world differently. And so even more so in this, our gentleness and our reasonableness and grace is vital to our life here at IPC. There are necessities, necessary beliefs and things in Christianity, but in topics and ideas that are not necessary in salvation, we need to be gracious and understanding and reasonable with one another. As James says, we must be quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to become angry with each other. So let's listen to one another and let's be kind and slow in our judgments of one another. We should be a community known for its gentleness and its reasonableness. And Paul ends verse 5 with the sentence, The Lord is near. Since God is near to us, let's all the more be reminded and strive to be gentle with our sisters and brothers and those around us. Now, moving on, we're going to focus on verses 6 through 7. And so now I'll read the the end of verse 5 through verse 7. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a lot to dig into here, so we'll spend some time on this. First off, as verse 5 says, the Lord is near. And since God is near, therefore we should not be anxious about anything. God is with us, the only God who's all-powerful, who created all things, who upholds all things in the universe by his power, is near to us. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us as Christians. Jesus loves us so much that he died for us. How wonderful is that? And if we know this truth, why do we worry? Why are we really ever anxious about anything? Worry and anxiousness can can almost seem a bit silly sometimes when we put it into perspective of who our God is. Now, just because God is with us, it doesn't mean that bad things won't happen um, or we won't go through extremely difficult or terrible times in life. But it's helpful to remember that no matter what is happening, our God is near to us. He's not going to leave us or, or abandon us. Sometimes our anxiousness and worry can actually come to a point where it becomes sinful in our lives. And I'm not talking about having an anxiety disorder or anything going on with with our brains, as some of us may not be able to control our anxiety as much as others. But just in general, anxiousness can mean that we're putting our, our confidence in ourselves. We're relying on ourselves to accomplish something, and we're worried that we're not good enough to do it. Secondly, anxiousness can mean that we're not trusting God, um, or we don't believe that God can do something or that God will bring about what's best in a situation. In a sense, it can be refusing to believe that God is who he is. And lastly, anxiousness and worry can sap the joy that we have in God. 
When we're worried, we, we often don't rejoice in who God is or what he's done, but we, we look at ourselves. We look at our own circumstances and our desires, and, and we end up looking away from God. And so whenever we worry, we need to remind ourselves of who our God is and that he is near to us. In his love, he's near. Jesus, in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, has powerful words for us on the topic of worry. Um, and Tasha read them already, but I'm, I'm just going to read them again because they're, they're so powerful. So Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Our God loves us and values us so much. Jesus came and died on the cross for us. And if he cares about the animals and the plants so well, how much more is he going to take care of us? God says not to worry, but to put his kingdom first. And God will take care of you. God will take care of the rest. And again, this doesn't mean bad things won't happen, um, or that evil won't happen in our lives or in the world. But it's important that we keep perspective always. That we remember who our God is, and that in the end, everything will work according to his will. Now, continuing on on this topic, we'll, we'll continue into verses 6 and 7, and I'll read those quickly again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in every situation, whatever we're doing, we should present our requests to God. If we're anxious about anything, we should tell God and we should put that thing into his hands. Whenever we pray and request something of God, we should come with thanksgiving. We should come with rejoicing and with worshiping God. And this will also help us to have a, a humble mindset before him. Now, God already knows our requests. God already knows what we're anxious about, what we want to talk to him about, what we want to request of him. But our God loves us and our God is relational. And he wants us to know him, right? And to be in prayer, to talk to him and to listen, to be honest with him. Our God wants to have a relationship with us. And that's why he wants us to tell him what's going on. And now going to verse 7, it says that when we come to him, then, with thankfulness and present our requests to him, he will give us his peace. And this is a peace so powerful that we will not be able to comprehend it. This is the peace that can only come from God and this peace he gives us will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. 
Paul does not say that when we come to God, that he will just give us whatever we want. He doesn't say if you have enough faith or if you pray hard enough, God will give you your desires. doesn't say that. It's a false teaching. What Paul does say is that if you pray to God and give over your anxiousness, that God will give you a beautiful peace that can only come from him. And this peace will guard you and protect you from falling under the pressure of what's going on, from, from falling away and turning away from him. It's actually a pretty frightening thought to, to think about God giving us everything we want, everything we think in the moment is good. This would almost certainly lead us down a path away from God, on a path of our own selfishness. We would constantly be in fear, wondering if, if what we asked for and what God actually gave us were good things for the world. Imagine that responsibility. But thankfully, our God is perfect and we can trust that he knows what is best and that he will give us and do what is best, not necessarily what we want in the moment. We can know that he's good and that whatever he does is good. So not only does God give us a a supernatural, powerful peace from him, but we can also rest knowing that his goodwill is done, not necessarily our own will. We can have peace that in the end, God's perfect will will be accomplished in the world. Now we're going to move on to verses 8 through 9, and we'll read them again. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So verse 8 is pretty clear. The word for think here also means to dwell on. So all these good things, all of these things that come from God and come from his character, let's think about these things, and let's dwell on these things. Let's focus on them. Our thoughts and hearts should be full of things, true and noble and right and and praiseworthy. And I think from this verse, Paul is bringing to us the idea that whatever we dwell on, whatever we think on, whatever we're spending our time dwelling on, is going to change us. What we dwell on will start to define us. It's going to mold us, transform how we think and how we act. Whether we like it or not, that's kind of our nature as humans. What we think on and dwell on will affect who we are. And I think we can take this then one step further. What we intake, so the things that we we consume as people, will affect what we think about, what we dwell on. So if we watch a Disney movie every day, like Jonathan was talking about, The Lion King, if we watch a Disney movie every day for 20 days straight, most likely we'll be thinking about romance and about love and about finding the one. But if we're reading the Bible every day and immersing ourselves in God's words, hopefully we'll be thinking about God and his teachings. Whatever we take into our lives, whatever we read or watch or listen to, or the people we interact with, is going to affect what we think about and dwell on. And what we dwell on is going to transform who we are. In a sense, you could compare this to sponges. If you grab a sponge that you use to wash the dishes with, and you throw it into a bucket of strong acid, it's going to suck up all that acid, it's going to soak it in, it's going to dwell in that acid, and it's probably going to melt or deteriorate or eventually kind of disappear. 
I don't know science very well, sorry. But, but um, if you throw the sponge in a bucket of perfume, it's going to absorb that, it's going to dwell in that perfume, and it's probably going to start to smell good. That, that old, dirty dishes smell might go away. So as Christians, we need to be aware about what we're taking in and about what we're dwelling on. And this leads us to the, the obvious practical questions that we all can ask ourselves. What am I taking in? And what am I thinking and dwelling on? Is what I'm taking in bringing me closer to God, or is it pushing me away from God? Is what I think about and dwell on bringing me closer to God or or pushing me away from God? The content we take in and the things we think on matter for our relationship with God. And I think sometimes as Christians, we want to think that we can separate the two, but I don't think we can. We think we can watch that thing or listen to that song or use that app or go to that website without being affected by it. But we will be affected by it. What we intake and what we think about affects who we become. Someone who who is seeking to be led by the Holy Spirit or someone who is seeking our own desires. Let's seek to be a people at IPC who dwell on God and who think on the good things that he's provided for us. Now, verse 9, we'll we'll talk about at the very end of today, but for now we're going to move on to verses 10 through 13, and I'll read those quickly again. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So Paul rejoices that the Philippians have helped him and supported him through Epaphroditus, and then he moves to speak about contentment. He says he's learned to be content in every circumstance, whether there's plenty or in need, whether that's well-fed or hungry. And this, at first glance, could seem a bit boastful, Um, But then, as always, Paul turns it to be boasting in God. He says, I can be content through him who gives me strength. It's God who gives contentment. It's God who gives us strength to be content in life. In our circumstances, what's going on in our life and around us should actually not affect the contentment we have in life. This is a very hard truth from Paul. I think for most of us, many of us, even as Christians, So often our contentment is based on what's going on around us. Is our job going well? Are relationships going well? Are we we healthy? Is our family doing well? But Paul is saying that through God, he has learned to be content no matter what. God has given him the strength to be content with what he's given in the moment. Verse 13, which says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength, is probably one of the most misquoted verses in the entire Bible. So often we've quoted it to encourage someone to do something they're dreading or to encourage someone in a test or a sports game or at their job. But in this context, Paul is in prison. He's lost every earthly thing for Christ. In becoming a Christian, he lost his status and reputation, his family, all of his friends, his his entire life. Now he's in prison, he's lost his freedom, and eventually he's going to lose his life for Christ. And this is the context in which Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
to say that even though I have lost literally everything, I am content because Christ gives me the strength to be content. This is convicting. And this again begs us to ask ourselves, if I lost everything, would I be content in God? If our contentment is not based on God, we're never going to be content. I think that when we look at the world and at life, it's pretty clear that without God, we can't be content. If we have plenty, we're always going to want more. If we have little, we're going to want more. Without God, we're going to try to fill that contentment hole in our hearts with anything and everything we can find, but we're not going to succeed. Only through God can we find contentment, and only through him will we find contentment in every different circumstance. Now, as we end today, as we round off Philippians, uh, once more I'm just going to read verse 9, where Paul says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is saying, as you think and dwell on good things, as you take those things, put them into practice. Take the good things you've heard and seen in Paul and put them into practice. Do them. And again, our God who gives us ultimate peace in our anxiousness will be with us. So to end us off for today, what are the things that the Philippians have received heard, and seen in Paul that they should put into practice. This is the perfect spot just to to review what God has said to his people throughout the whole letter to the Philippians. So now let's just remind ourselves about some of the things that Paul has taught us through this letter. Firstly, we learn that Paul's worldview has been transformed and shifted, and now Paul sees success as glorifying God with his life. If you remember, Paul has those Christ-centered glasses on. Paul filters everything in his life through Christ. Secondly, Paul over and over has focused on reliance on God. He's emphasized the fact that we are imperfect, that we sin and we fail, but we don't need to worry. God is enough. We should forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. Paul has drilled into us humility in this letter. Thirdly, in our failure, Paul encourages us to fully rely on God. He says we need God both to will and to act. We need to rely on God both for the desire for him and for the strength to live for him. We need the Holy Spirit to work in and through us in order for us to glorify God. And this is wonderful news. We don't need to rely on ourselves, but we can rely on God, and we should ask for his help. Next, Paul urges us to put our confidence fully in God. He warns us against putting our our identity and hope and fulfillment in anything else besides him. Paul actually says that everything else is garbage in comparison with knowing Christ. If we don't love Christ, we've lost everything. And lastly, as we talked about at the beginning of today, Paul teaches us over and over again joy. Joy in the Lord. We need to have joy in who God is and what he has done for us. It's a part of who we are as Christians. It's really not an optional thing. We should be asking God for joy in him, and we should rejoice in him daily. Let's take a page from Paul's book as a church, and let's be a joyful community here at IPC. Let's pray together. Lord, 
Please give each and every one of us in here joy in you. Help us to know you deeper, to understand you more, um, and to, to fully rely on you, put our confidence in you for each and everything that we do every single day, God. Don't let us seek contentment in anything else. Let us seek contentment in you alone. And again, God, let us just rejoice in you each and every day that we have here on earth, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen.